We're starting a new series today, Run to Win. And this series, I think, is very timely. You can give God the glory. We didn't know at the time the plans were made that we'd find ourselves facing another round of pandemic noise. We didn't know that we'd start this series on the day when a strong hurricane is headed right for New Orleans again. We didn't know that we'd finish this series during the 20th anniversary of 9-11. We, we didn't know that we, well, I guess we didn't know that one, but we didn't give much thought. We didn't know that uh, we'd get to this point when literally all hell's breaking loose in Afghanistan and many, many other things. I didn't know the first day of this series the refrigerator in there would die and make a stinky smell. I, I didn't know that I'd wake up this morning being notified that our fire alarm system is malfunctioning. I didn't know. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just a great time to remember that life happens, and when you do it with purpose, running to win, which means, this is, this is a spoiler, here's the end of the sermon series, running to win means running to him to the Lord, right? That's, that's where we're going to end up with this. But you might want to stay for each of the five messages so you can get the, the, all the fine details. But we didn't know that with running to him comes adversity and trial. We, we didn't know that, that when you put your life in his hands that it'll feel really sweet at first, but then you will find that the enemy wants to break you before you even get started. We talked about that last week as I shared Frank Viola's new book that I had hoped he would share with you last week because we didn't know when we planned this series on Running to Win that Frank would be coming here and we didn't know that when we planned this series his plans would get changed and here we are again. So if you read my Wednesday posts, you might remember that I wrote a little thing called, here we go again. And so my point is, is that running the race of life can seem so pointless. It can seem so futile. Let me ask an honest question. I've experienced this at times in my life, thankfully not so much anymore, but once upon a time I can remember staying up late on Sunday night in order to try to put off Monday morning a little bit longer. I can remember waking up on Monday morning and sitting on the end of my bed just trying to get up the gumption to get dressed and go to a job that I didn't like because I need the money. Now that's not living with purpose. That's when, not because of the job thing, but just that, that you see no purpose in it. I, I have since counseled people who felt just as I did in those days when I was less mature. And I've said to them, you know, the trick is to find purpose in what you're doing anyway. My son worked for an outside entity selling hardware inside a locomotive plant in Muncie. And I said, son, if you have doubts about your job and whether you enjoy it or not, I would like for you to change your mindset slightly. Instead of saying, I go to work to deal with cranky mechanics, giving them pieces and parts they need and having them complain because it's not the right part or something like that, you, you could do that. Or you could say, I go to work each day to build locomotives. 
And locomotives move commerce all over the world. And every time we finish one of these locomotives, it goes somewhere to make people's lives better because it carries coal to fire power plants. It carries freight that people need all the time. You know, it's like a mindset. It's how you look at life that makes all the difference. And if you can see purpose in what you do, that's bigger than the things you do. You're onto something. So that's what this series is about. Running to win is about running to win the Christian race, the life of a Christian. Now, I want you to think about what a crazy year this has been. That shouldn't be too hard because we're not done yet. It's going on two years. This year, we have been forced to stay in our homes and figure out how to live with people that we used to get away from for several hours a day. And some of us have found that more difficult than others. Some of us have been delighted by that. You know where you are in the spectrum. All I'm saying is, is we had to deal with that. It forced us to change our priorities. How bad do you want to go to church when you can't go to church? How bad do you want to, how badly do you want to do other things in your life when they're taken away from you? These were the kind of things that we were forced to deal with. Then, then we were forced to deal with how much trust do we really put in government? How much trust do we really put in those people in authority? And every one of us is all over the place. How much are we willing to see our relationship with each other in community as something that is a shared burden, which means that whether I distrust and you greatly trust, somehow we have to get through this together, you know, and, and on and on it goes. So we basically figured out that we have to look at what our priorities are and live toward them. So this pandemic has caused us to find purpose, even if the job is incomplete. So then we had to deal with, well, something I said back in March last year that, you know, it's not like an I told you so thing. It's just that sometimes I say things that are sort of predictive in nature and then I, I wait to see if I was right. And I think I might have been right about this one because back in March of last year, I said, you know, I have a feeling this thing is going to reveal who the givers and the takers are in our lives. And I look back now and I can say for sure that's what happened. What I've discovered that surprised me, though, was the takers are much less aware of their nature than the givers are. <laughs> I've noticed that, that, that people who are more self-interested and self-oriented are at times very blind to that. And that in a world where giving is something that really makes dealing with these difficult times much more meaningful, there are people who really become very selfish and, and distrusting and very uh, kind of, you know, circle the wagons and take care of your own, you know, and, and they don't really see anything wrong with that, but then they find out that they're far lonelier and they have fewer options than the givers. So these are some of the things we noticed. Who'd have thought we would have had a whole season of football, my favorite sport, who'd have thought we'd have a whole season of football with nobody in the stands? And when you listen to the football players this year, they're all going, oh, I'm so looking forward to having people in the stands again because the energy is so much better. It's easier to win when you've got people in the stands cheering for you. Can you imagine what it was like for those Olympians who have trained all their lives for these events that they just 
completed in Tokyo. You imagine what it was like for them to get to the place they've been trying to get to all their lives and there's nobody in the stands. They've envisioned this all their lives. They pictured their parents who no doubt saved money for years so that they could go and watch their loved one, you know, and, and on and on it goes. And now there they are getting ready to compete in their event, giving it their all, and there's nobody in the stands. What makes them want to win? Well, they're highly trained, highly tuned athletes, and so they're conditioned to win for the sake of winning. But, but... There's no accolades from the crowd. There's nobody. Did you notice in the Olympics that every time somebody got a medal, they would show them like Zoom conferencing with their families, wherever they were, because they needed that. They needed that. Can you imagine? Now, here's one for you. Can you imagine that it's a long marathon type race and, and uh, or a relay race, let's say, in the stadium and on the track and field stadium, they have lines. And can you imagine these guys running within their lanes and, and one of them running past these empty stands sees a squirrel up there in the stands and he takes off out of his lane, runs up through the stands and starts chasing that squirrel all over the stadium. Can you imagine that? No, of course you can't. That would be silly. Why would a trained, highly tuned athlete who's determined to win go off chasing a squirrel up through the stands? And yet, some of us believe we're running to win, but we're always running out of our lane chasing squirrels everywhere, aren't we? You know it's true. But there is another thing that sometimes happens in those Olympic-type games that really moves us, right? When these highly tuned athletes who are running for something that they've tried, they've striven for all their lives, and, and, and one of their competitions stumbles and falls, and they stop and help that person back up again, and together they don't finish first, but they finish together. And we are all awestruck by that. Our hearts are moved because that is completely illogical in a highly competitive environment, but it happens because there's a compassion that overrules that compulsion to win at all costs. So running to win in the Christian life is more like that. In fact, we're encouraged to run to win by stopping whenever we need to help someone who's running the same race pick themselves up and get on with their race too. It's a whole different thing. So running to win something we're going to talk about over the next five weeks or four weeks after this. And, and what we're going to realize is, is that if we're not running the Christian life to win, what are we here for? Why do it at all? Let's read the passage now. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 at verse 24. It's a short passage today, just three verses. The Apostle Paul is speaking and he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I love it. The Apostle Paul says, I don't swing at empty air. I land a punch that's going to knock you out. <laughs> that's a great 
Great little phrase there, you know. And, and here's what Paul is saying in context. You've got to remember, this is the same Paul we talked about last week who was beaten up by a bunch of thugs in Antioch and uh, left for dead. And he dusts himself off and goes back to Antioch and preaches to him anyway. And his witness is even more powerful because he was beat up and left for dead. You know, this is the guy that's talking to us about what it means to run to win the Christian race. And there are two things that he's telling us in this that I want to focus on with you. And the first is fairly simple, and most of us would agree, at least intellectually, that your life has to have purpose in order to win. You've got to know what you're running toward in order to win. And what he says, obviously, is, is that the prize that you get for winning the earthly race, for, for having the most money, uh, attaining the highest level of recognition in your chosen career, that kind of thing, you know, those kinds of races are all fine and good, but they're like a wreath that will be put on the altar, or the mantle rather, and you'll look at it for a couple of days, point it out to all of your friends, but eventually you have to throw it away because it just turns brown and falls apart, right? Um, have you ever heard stories, I have, of people buying an Olympian's gold medal on eBay or at a pawn shop? Happens all the time. These people win the biggest race of their life, and then 20 years later, it doesn't mean enough to them to hold on to it, and they need the money worse than they need that relic. I mean, that's what Paul's saying. We run lots of races that feel like great victories for a little while, but then it's over. So the first point that Paul and I would like to make to you is, is that you need to run a race where you're going for something you cannot lose, that never loses its value. And this is where I'm kind of blunt to the point of sounding a little ridiculous to some people, but my bluntness says, look, everybody's going to die. You can't escape that. It's not something that you want me to say when your children are in the room. I get it, you know, but, but the reality is that people die every day, even children. The reality is that death is the great equalizer because it treats the rich and the poor, the powerful and the irrelevant all the same way. Death doesn't care. It comes when your time for death has arrived and there's nothing you can do about it. So if running to win is to accumulate the most money you can or the most stuff you can, then that would be like when Jesus said, you know, the guy built a bigger barn because he managed to raise more you know, wealth than he thought he would. And Jesus says what a fool he is because tomorrow he dies. And what does he leave behind? Everything. You've heard the old joke, you know, if Warren Buffett died today, how much would he leave behind? All of it. He doesn't take any of it with him. The number is irrelevant. Death is death. With that being said then, is there a prize that you would do anything and everything to win? My family and I have been watching this show on TV called Alone. Have any of you seen that? It's about people that get, you know, uh, they get in this competition where they're gonna be left out in the wilderness by themselves and they've got allowed to take 10 things with them in their backpack and then they're gonna survive. And there are 10 contestants, the last one, to, that's still out there. You know, so they all quit when they've had enough, right? But one, and so whoever's last gets $500,000. What would you do for 
Well, every one of these people in this, this show, and we've watched, what, three or four seasons now and, and uh, over time, and, and, and all the contestants say the same thing. I'm doing this for my family because with $500,000, I can make their lives better. I'm doing this for my family. And then one by one, they tap out. One by one, they quit. And while they're trying to decide whether to quit or not, they say over and over again, because they have to document everything they're doing, and, and they say over and over again, I can't quit, I'm doing this for my family, I'm doing this for my family. And then it's sooner or later, they say, I'm done. I just can't do this any longer, and I think my family would be glad just to have me back sane and, and not dead. And they quit. So it turns out that even $500,000 isn't enough. If you raise the ante to a million dollars, it still wouldn't result in 10 people going for 10 years. Each time it gets too hard, they change their priorities and they say, you know, it would have been nice, but I just can't do it. This is a race I can't win. The Apostle Paul tells us that he's running to win because the prize is something that every one of us would be more than willing to do whatever it takes to win. You know what that is? Eternal life, right? See, most of us don't really contemplate our death. Some of us have had scares and we've had an opportunity to realize how mortal and weak our flesh is. And we've had to think about what life would be like if we were confronted with a death sentence. But most of us don't think about it very much and we think it's rude to talk about it too much, but I'm being rude anyway because the fact is, is if it wasn't for death, I'd be out of a job. Because I can only entertain you so much. We can only sing so much about Jesus and then you're going to get on with your life. But when you're confronted with death, sooner or later, you're going to want to talk to somebody who knows what is bigger than all of this. Somebody who, who has a sense of how these things really go. I've been called alongside many a dying person in my career and surprised at how many people who seem to have a really strong faith at their last hours confessed that they weren't at all sure about how this works. That they've been living and running a race they didn't really understand how to win. And what's the win? It's knowing that beyond the grave, you still live. Anybody want that? I do. Knowing that the people I've loved and lost will be at the finish line. Now, that's not $500,000, that's not a million dollars, that's a prize everybody wants. Everybody can win. But what are you willing to endure to win that prize? What are you willing to do? You know, believe it or not, I, I don't know about you, but I've met people who have said, I really don't believe in all of that. And when I'm dead, I'm dead. And, and if I'm dead, then I don't know and I don't care. Well, you know, that's fine, I guess, but that's like tapping out without ever knowing what it's like to win or knowing, you know, it, that's ignorance and faithlessness, but we claim to be people of faith, so that's not an option for us, is it? Here's what I really wanna to say to you that I think is tucked in these short verses that I just read. Paul is saying that you run to win 
because the prize is eternal life. And anybody here with, dare I say, half a lick of sense would like to have that. Because the alternative is this short life and all of its ups and downs and then you're gone. But if there's a real promise that you can believe and have absolute certainty in your being that there's more than just this life, then you'd be willing to do whatever it takes. You would, you would say, like the woman at the well talking to Jesus, where's this water I want it? Because it's water that gives me eternal life and I want that. Because so far this one doesn't really, it's not adding up to anything I'm particularly thrilled about. So I'd like to have a longer opportunity to test my prospects over eternity. You'd accept Christ as your Savior if you knew that it was guaranteeing your eternal salvation. Most of us can do that intellectually, but do we believe in our heart of hearts with absolute certainty that it's true? Are we looking with expectation to the finish line because we know that our Savior is going to be there? waiting to grab us when we win. A lot of people, a lot of church-going people, believe like that. But a lot more believe intellectually. They, they, they do it as though they purchased an insurance policy. You know, I got, I got policies and documents and things in a, in a fireproof box at my house. How many people go to church and maybe have gone all their lives and they've got an insurance policy, at least in their imagination, that's in a fireproof box in the house somewhere. And when they get close to death, they're going to pull it out and they're going to file a claim. You'd be amazed how many people I meet that talk just like that. Or they get it out and they wave it at heaven and they say, why is all this bad stuff happening to me? I bought the policy as though it was insurance against trouble. Do me a favor, read Frank's book. I don't have time to tell you all that. But I can tell you this. If you want to die in faith, you need to own that responsibility that is encompassed in that insurance policy in your very being. It can't be just an intellectual assent. It has to be an authentic belief. And if you, like so many people, even in the Bible, aren't sure about that, you pray, Lord, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. And don't worry, he will. But the last thing I want to say to you before we go to the Lord's table is that Paul is saying something else here that really exemplifies what it means to run to win. He is saying, I'm long past doing this, you know, getting beat up and left for dead and then preaching to those people again. I'm, I'm long past doing this because I believe it's something good that you need and I want you to have it. I mean, he's way past that. You know what he's doing it for? You know why he endures all of this suffering? Why he's willing to spend every ounce of his energy for the remainder of his life suffering if need be for this, this life-changing, eternity-changing 
being that he's encountered. Do you know why he's really doing it? Because he's running to Christ who's there at the finish line. He's long past doing it for his sake. He's long past doing it for your sake. He's long past thinking about his life as a race that's about him. Paul is running to Christ. He knows that Christ Jesus is standing at the finish line and he's running in hard as fast as he can to get to Christ. I mean, think about it. If your faith was in the balance and I told you that Jesus was making a tour across the United States and he was going to be in Cincinnati for three days only next week, wouldn't we all do everything humanly possible to go and find him there and see him there? You know, people need that so bad. That's why that happens like when the Pope comes to visit. They want to substitute. They, they want a proxy. They, they want, you know, what I've said in the past, what Satan creates is a counterfeit. All right, Catholic friends, I'm not saying anything about the Pope being satanic. What I'm saying is, is when we can't get in our heads a picture of Christ at the finish line, we'll chase the squirrel. And the trick is to keep your eyes on Jesus. That's what Paul does. He's running to Christ. I just, I got to quit, but I had this thought just now. It's like one of my favorite movies that my kids taught me to like years ago. What, back in the 90s, I guess, was that movie Hook, you know, with, with uh, Robin Williams. And he's Peter Pan, right? And his son, the enemy is trying to pull his son away from loyalty to his father. If that isn't like a biblical metaphor, I don't know. And, and there's this really telling scene where, where Jack, his son, is really you know, just fed up with his father because his father never makes it to his baseball games. So the enemy, Captain Hook, says, well, we'll just have a baseball game and we'll all give you what you want. Except these pirates are dumb. They don't know anything about football. So they're holding up these signs. Baseball, sorry, my game. I loved baseball when I was a kid, but baseball let me down. I'm sorry. That's all I'm going to say about that. MLB, this is my opinion of you now. (laughs) NFL, Jesus Okay, I mean, this is on record. I got to make sure I put my priorities in public display. Okay, I wish you hadn't said that because I just went chasing a squirrel. (laughs) Darn it. So anyway, this baseball game is happening and all these pirates who don't know anything about baseball are holding up signs that say, run home, Jack. Right? Isn't that brilliant? It's such a beautiful biblical metaphor. Go home and watch it. It'll make you laugh. Watch it with your family. Watch it with your kids, your grandkids. It says, run home, Jack. And finally, Hook says, no, you idiots. And they change it to home run, Jack. But the message has already been made clear. Run home. Running to win is running home. It's running home. And who's who's standing at the finish line? The one to whom we will be wed in a spiritual way that only tantalizes our imagination for all eternity. Now that's a race worth winning. Let us pray. Well, God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for inspiring us, motivating us. Lord, help us to put all of our faith in you and to run to you to win this race. 
for your glory and for a victory that we can savor for all eternity. We pray for our own sake and in your name. Amen. Thank you.